0: The first trial of the former officers charged in the killing of George Floyd is underway. Police officers are rarely prosecuted in such cases, and the world will be watching. The Minnesota Public Radio Newsroom, which has followed this case in detail from the beginning, will bring listeners updates on this monumental trial and the consequences it holds for the city and the country. Listen to In Front of Our Eyes wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: I'm John Collins. And I'm Reham Fashir. And this is 74 Seconds.
0: We're covering the trial of Officer Geronimo in the shooting death of Philando Castile. Get all the background on the case in our first four episodes.
1: As the trial begins, we'll be releasing weekly recaps, and if news breaks, you'll hear from us with special updates. We'll have the producer of 74 Seconds, Tracy Mumford, jumping in with us on these trial episodes.
2: Hi, I'm Tracy. And because covering a trial can be unpredictable, and Reham and John will be chasing things down as this story unfolds, I will be here through these trial episodes and everything that happens next. So today was the first day of the trial, and you were both there. What was the scene at the courthouse?
1: Well, the scene at the courthouse was packed. Um, When we got there, there were two lines in the hallway. One was for media and the other was for members of the public or family members or friends of, of the parties that are involved in the case. And the both lines stretched all the way to the back of the hallway.
0: We saw a few family members of Officer Yana's. We did not see family members from Castile's side um, because apparently there was a miscommunication and they didn't know if they could attend or not today. That's something we heard after the hearing was over.
2: And we saw Officer Jeronimo Yana's today. What, what was that like to see him in the courtroom?
1: Yanez looked very uh, put together. He was wearing a light gray suit, black frame glasses, um, a purple tie. I mean, he didn't really speak that much. He said good morning when he was introduced to jurors, but that's about it. Otherwise, he was just conferring with his attorneys. And once in a while during the breaks, he actually walked into the hallway and then into the back room, you know, mixing more with the public than we've seen him mix. Normally, he would just come in the back door and then leave through the back door. But this time he's walking through the hallway where the public, members of the media and other folks are. And
0: you could see on Twitter now videos, a number of videos of him with reporters following him from the courthouse all the way outside. So what happened
2: today as the first day of the trial?
0: So, the first day of the trial today is the first step in picking a jury. So, there were 50 potential jurors that were called and sworn in, and they left with questionnaires, a 60-question form that asks everything from basic information on their background, where they're from, what they do for a living, um, where they get their news. There was a a lot of questions uh, on how they consume their news and if they know anything about this case.
1: If you've never been chosen for a jury before, they bring all these people in in, in Ramsey County. They go into a basement room. They give them just general instructions on what the expectations are. Are for that day, and then they trooped them up to the courtroom, um, sat them down in all the the open rows, and then the judge gave them more instructions on exactly what the expectations were, and then officially swore the jurors in.
0: So all, the, all that they know about the case is what the judge told them. They told, he summarized the allegations. He told them that it was a criminal case. So all they know is that on July 6, 2016, Officer Hirano Moyana stopped a car uh, driven by Philando Castile. He walked up to an open window, and that's where Castile told Yanas that he had a gun. Shortly after that, Officer Yanas shot
2: Castile. So they start with a pool of 50, but that pool has already been narrowed by one, Right, right.
0: So we, we heard um, right after the potential jurors left the room that one of them is related to Officer Yanez. So she was immediately dismissed.
2: That's kind of a strange thing to hear in the courtroom, right? Uh, to pull a pool of 50 jurors and one of them is related to the defendant?
1: I think it just brings it home, you know, what a small world it is and, and you know, how this case has implications and echoes all over the community.
2: So let's talk about the questionnaire that the potential jurors have been given. Like you said, it's sixty questions, and it's uh, it covers a wide variety of topics. Can you give me some of the things that that stood out to you on this questionnaire?
1: Sure, I'm looking through it right now, and um, you know, generally, it's a lot of demographic information. You know, some private information, but there are like some things that um, apply specifically to. This case, for instance, question twenty-five asks um, if you're a member of any group or organization, and, and that includes the NRA, the, the Sierra Club, but it also says any group that protests against police or government agencies, or uh, any group which discriminates against any race. You know, they really want to know if you're involved in anything that has taken a position on issues that are connected to this case. You know, for instance, police brutality.
0: There were also a few questions about the people involved and what they know about Philando Castile, what they know about Diamond Reynolds, what they know about all the attorneys involved, if they've ever interacted with anybody. This was
2: interesting to me. So obviously we know that Diamond Reynolds will play a large role in this case moving forward. But to see her name on the jury questionnaire where they're specifically asking prospective jurors. What do they know about Diamond Reynolds? What stands out to them about her? That was interesting to me that they would be asking about a witness on the questionnaire.
1: And Diamond Reynolds has been a focal point of the defense. They want um, her social media presence to be admitted during trial. And that's because Diamond Reynolds is... is pretty much the witness in this case. She was sitting next to Flando Castile. she saw the whole interaction and apart from the squad cam and um, you know the microphone that the officer was wearing at that time, she is the the main person who will be able to tell us exactly what happened there. So it would make sense that the defense is using this as a strategy to um, question what some of her testimony may be.
2: So they'll fill out these questionnaires and then how does the process work from there to actually select the jury?
1: So tomorrow morning, what they're going to start right at 9 a.m. is um, talking to jurors individually, using the information that they got from these questionnaires to just say, um, you know, maybe the defense has a concern about this person's opinion about the criminal justice system, which was a question in here, or maybe they had a bad interaction with police officers in the past and they will want to talk about that. And what they're trying to do is find out. Is this person going to be fair if they're chosen as a a juror at the end? Will they be able to allow Officer Yanez a fair trial?
2: So this was our first chance to see who is in the jury pool. There are now 49 potential jurors after the loss of the juror related to Yanez. And looking at that pool, did people have comments after the courtroom about who's in the jury pool?
0: Well, what we noticed today is that the jury pool was mostly white.
2: Which is to be expected in Ramsey County, Minnesota, that supports the demographics of the area, correct?
0: Yeah. In this case, it's it's interesting because the defendant, Officer Geronimo Yanez, he's Latino, and the person he shot is black. So race is going to come up as an issue here in this trial, which is why it's important to note how many uh, people of color were included in the jury pool. Um, and that's something that that John Thompson, the Philando's friend and co-worker brought up after the hearing, he, he talked to a few reporters and and this is what he said.
1: You know, I, I
2: honestly as an African American man, we've never trusted the court process, man. You know, just I'm just speaking on my own personal, you know, dealings with the court. We never trust never trust trusted court. We did not trust the police. You know, we don't trust the cops. And and you're talking about a history of us not faring well in these buildings, man. So, you know, for me, I look at the jury and said it's not diverse enough, you know, but can they be fair? I think they can. All right, since the trial is starting and they are seating a jury this week, let's just do a quick overview of the charges again. So Yanez has been charged with manslaughter. Under Minnesota law, what is manslaughter and how does it differ from murder? The main difference
0: between manslaughter and murder is premeditation. And that's something that came up um, after the charges were announced. People were wondering, why was he charged with manslaughter? Why wasn't he charged with murder? So for this, we wanted to know more about these charges. We wanted to learn more about them. So we talked to uh, Pete Orbit. He's a prosecutor in a neighboring county in Washington County. And this is what he said.
2: Well, yeah, the only way it would be murder is, say, if you had evidence, say this case. If we had evidence that somehow is was out looking for Castile and wanted to hunt him down and kill him, that'd be a first-degree murder. Uh, It would be intentional murder if he intended to kill the guy for no good reason. Here, he may have intended to kill the guy, but he says he had a reason, and that's what the trial's about. Is that a good reason or is that a reckless reason?
1: Another difference between manslaughter and murder is the sentence that you can get. Um, The maximum sentence for murder is life in prison. And the maximum sentence for second degree manslaughter is 10 years in prison.
2: So the other charges that Yanis is facing, because it's not just second-degree manslaughter, uh, those relate to the other passengers that were in the car the night of July 6th, right? Yeah.
0: Those two charges are dangerous discharge of a firearm. So he's charged with recklessly shooting into the car and endangering the passengers of the car. And those two charges each carry a maximum sentence of five years in prison. And the passengers are Diamond Reynolds. Diamond Reynolds and her four-year-old daughter who was sitting in the back in a car seat.
1: And we know that a bullet was embedded in the armrest between Diamond Reynolds and Philando Castile, and another was embedded in the back seat. And the child was on the other side of the car, but on the back seat there. So this is why the prosecutor decided to also file these charges in addition to manslaughter.
2: So the defense has attempted to move this trial several times. Uh, So it's opening now in Ramsey County, but that is not what the defense wanted.
1: I mean, the, the change of venue, they've introduced it three times. Our expectation is they're going to be able to at least one more time file for a change of venue. And the judges left it open for them to file again for a change of venue if they're unable to seat a jury in Ramsey County here. So it could still come up in the coming days.
2: So what is their argument in wanting to move the trial? Their argument is publicity. The case
0: has received so much statewide and um, nationwide coverage, but they're arguing that uh, the Ramsey County is not a place to find fair and impartial jurors.
1: They're also saying that public officials have come out and uh, said things that they say are biased towards Officer Giannis. So that would be Governor Mark Dayton, uh, Representative Keith Ellison. So they say bringing it to a place like Duluth, which is in the far north of the state or in in a smaller town like Brainerd or St. Cloud, will allow a fairer jury to be seated.
2: So let's talk about some of the other motions that the defense has made in this case. What stands out to you? Something that has come up over and over during these court
0: proceedings is Castile's marijuana use. We know that the defense has argued since the beginning um, that he was... Responsible for his own death and they wanted to get the case tossed out from the from the start um, because Castile had THC in his system.
1: And this is a little complicated, but essentially the defense is arguing that because Castile had marijuana in his system and because they are alleging that he had a history of marijuana use that he should not have legally been able to get his permit to carry. And it's really hard to prove. And the prosecution is saying um, they said today for the first time that he did not use marijuana or smoked marijuana on the day of the shooting.
2: So the prospective jurors will return tomorrow for more questioning, right? How long could that last?
1: So jury selection we're hearing could take all week. I mean, it's going to be a pretty intense process where all 50 jurors will come in as individuals and be questioned by both sides. And if if they're unable to seat a jury, that's really complicated. They're going to need to bring in a new pool of jurors to to try and seat a jury from that if they're unable from these 50 to seat it. Um, We're hearing the trial overall could last about three weeks. That's what court folks are planning for.
2: Now, we should note, too, that none of this is happening in a vacuum. We've had news continuing to break in the cases of other police shootings around the country while we've been following this case. Has any of that influenced your reporting, or or what are you seeing about other cases around the country?
1: As we've reported this, I mean, the headlines on the newspaper websites have you know, just been touching on the same exact issues. Just today, the Cleveland officials announced that the officer who shot Tamir Rice, who you'll remember as the 12-year-old boy who had a pellet gun in a park, it was November 2014, um, that they've decided to fire that officer. So that's three years almost after the, the incident that they took action to fire him. And The grand jury in that case declined to file charges.
0: And Betty Shelby, a police officer in in Tulsa, Oklahoma, was acquitted just earlier this month for shooting Terrence Crutcher. Police were called to that scene when Crutcher stopped his car in the middle of the road and was standing next to it. Shelby said that Crutcher didn't respond to orders uh, to show his hands and that when when he reached towards the vehicle, she shot him. The investigation showed that uh, there was not a firearm in the car, but Shelby... Said that she did fear for her life, and she was she was charged with uh, manslaughter in the case, and the jury acquitted her earlier this month.
1: And I think both of these incidents really reinforce how tough it is to to get charges in the first place, and then to get a conviction in a case where an officer has killed someone. There's this guy named Phil Stinson. He's a professor at Bowling Green University in Ohio, and he's pretty much the only person tracking how many officers are charged and how many are convicted. So he's the closest we can get to an official estimate of what exactly is going on. And he says that since 2005, all around the country, 80 officers have faced manslaughter or murder charges for fatal shootings. And that's out of an estimated about 1,000 fatal shootings involving police each year.
2: So that's 80 officers charged, but what is the conviction rate?
1: Out of those 80 officers, just 29 either pleaded guilty or they were convicted by a jury. And another 31 ended without a conviction. And the rest are ongoing. The rest are still waiting to see what's going to happen.
2: And that's where we're at with the Officer Geronimo Yanez trial, right? So we'll be continuing to give you weekly recaps on what's happening in the courtroom. And if there is breaking news, we will bring you an update. And if you want more
0: information about the case as it
2: unfolds, follow us on Twitter at 74 mpr.
1: 74 Seconds is a production of NPR News and American Public Media.
2: Tracy from 74 Seconds, and we wanted to let you know that our colleagues at APM Reports just launched the new season of their award winning podcast, In the Dark. In this second season, they explore a new story with life or death consequences. It's the case of four people who were killed in a small town in Mississippi, and the story of why a black man on death row has been tried six times for those murders. You can listen and subscribe to In the Dark on Apple Podcasts.